Nah, everyone knows. Everyone knows I got this thing for Anthony Davis. I don't think Anthony all... Davis is your is your side chick on this podcast. <laughs> In life too, man. Today's show is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five day home try on at www.warbyparkertrial.com slash holy backboard. Five pairs, five days, one hundred percent free. Let's go! Come on, everybody! All right, everybody, welcome to the 62nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in rainy Rip City, and I got my man Sage here in windy, windy, windy Southern Oregon. It's been awful weather here the last few weeks, man. We get the snow from the California, get winds. It's just shitty, man. But remember two weeks ago I said if if any of our listeners – Play 2K well, hit me up. One of them did. Michael Gonzalez played two whole games of my park with me. Uh, The first game, I kind of wrecked shit. Game to 21, I got seven assists and three points. I did my my point guard thing. Uh, One of my friends who was playing with us was like, bro, he does realize you're in all Anthony Davis stuff. Isn't that a problem with what you do on the podcast? Nah, everyone knows. Everyone knows I got this thing for Anthony Davis. I don't think Anthony old. Davis is your is your side chick on this podcast. <laughs> In life, too, man. I love Anthony Davis, so I knew I knew Rip City wasn't gonna hold it against me. I have all the Blazer stuff. I was just wearing Pelican shit. Yeah, that's that's no thing. But even more unpredictable than this, this Portland weather has been the Trailblazers play as of late. You know, when we did our predictions last week, I thought two and two was was probably what was going to happen. I could have never expected that we would have won the two games that we won and lost the two games that we lost and in the fashion that which both took place. Uh, Let's kind of kick it off with with that Laker game. Uh, You and Brandon both thought that was going to be a win. I didn't have any faith. And it looked like I was right halfway through the game. Uh, Portland came out extremely sluggish. And actually trailed by by two points at the half. All of a sudden, the defense picked up in that third quarter. Portland outscored the Lakers twenty three to twelve in that third. And the ignition point was D'Angelo Russell giving Damian Lillard a little elbow. And oh yeah, if you're a great player like like Michael Jordan, you are looking for anything to set you off and motivate you and I believe Dame started 0 of 7 that game and the Lakers are the team he always kills so that was extremely strange watching um, from home seeing this happen but after starting 0 of 7 Dame actually finished uh, shooting 50% 7 of 14 put in 20 points 8 boards 6 assists um, just 2 turnovers and really ignited that rally. Uh, Portland ended up winning 108 to 87. And I saw people on Twitter saying, you know, he should have came out with that motivation. D'Angelo's a young point guard. He's got to show him, you know, what's up from the get-go. People don't realize this is 82 games. Do you go into work every single day and say, I'm going to just tear shit apart. I'm going to kill this TPS report. This campaign report's got no chance. This is about to be the most fire client email that I've ever sent in my life. Man, hell no. I mean, you, 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 yourself. you and I both took two-hour naps to get ready for this podcast. So, I, I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't go into your job full board 
all the time. I mean, when I worked it, for the it, man. It's a marathon. Yeah. You oh. got to pick and choose your spots when to sprint. Dame just chose that one, and it, it came at a perfect time. What was also interesting is when Dame was on the bench, Jordan Clarkson, for whatever reason, came over. Dame was having some words. Like, this wasn't no traditional kind of like smack talk dame was like if you really want to do this outside we can do that like i'm from oakland i'm not going to put up with this shit and one i love it because it's against the lakers but two even more i just do not like d'angelo russell i think he's cocky and probably thinks more highly of his game than than really is there and you know tell him to stay in his lane and that, that's what i really appreciated about dame that game uh but to be honest age i did rewatch the second half of that game because that snowstorm came down, and I was pretty captivated by that. So I would like go to the door, check the snow, check the score. I mean, it was really hard to to see what was going on. Um, but I, I recorded it because I knew that was going to be the case. Like at halftime, we wanted to go out, get a couple pictures in the snow, um, pick it up from the DVR, and then we watched it again the following night. But it was another game where I think – Ed Davis has really turned into the X factor for this team. He was such a beast last year and he's racked up a couple of, you know, DNP coaches decisions. And this was a game where he got inserted, played 21 minutes was a vintage Ed Davis, three of six, eight points, eight boards really gave us that spark off the bench. And then you just look at CJ McCollum, who was in the midst of, I believe scoring eight consecutive games of 25 or more points, which, um, I think he eventually broke Clyde the Glide's record and was fell only second to Jeff Petrie when Petrie was the only reason people would go see the Blazers when you know they were in their first inaugural seasons. Uh, so CJ carried the torch throughout the game. Dame had that third quarter spark. Ed brought it off the bench, and then you had Aminu, who probably played one of his finest games: fifteen boards, three blocks, four assists. Only six shots. That's what you really like out of Aminu. He's doing the little things outside of shooting. I mean, people are surprised at how good of a rebounder he is. But the narrative on his career is tremendous rebounder, bad shooter. I mean, I, I knew that what he can do and what he's best at is a small ball four. I think I said that like week two of this podcast. You said that week two of last year's podcast, yeah, bro. Yeah, so... I, he is a tremendous rebounder for his position, and he shined. I mean, he he is he he almost always picks up the hardest assignment on defense every game. So with the Blazers playing well in defense last like eight games, it's all Alfred Aminu covering the hardest player. So he deserves a lot of respect for his defense. But though that rebounding was always there. And speaking of the defense, this was probably Portland's finest defensive outing in terms of pure statistical categories. The 87 points they allowed the uh, the Lakers, I believe, was the fewest they allowed all year. They did a great job of limiting the bench. Obviously, it was a blowout, so the bench racked up some some garbage points. But, you know, Lou Williams only had 10 points when he killed us last game. Uh, Jordan Clarkson was a complete no-show, nine points on nine shots. And their leading score was Lou Aldang. They only had two players in double figures, Dang at 14 and Ingram off the bench at 11. And I believe it was the 10th straight time the Blazers have beaten the Lakers, the longest for Portland in this series. And regardless of how this season is going, whether you want the playoffs or the lottery, it's it's nice to get these little slices of what I call cake. You know, you get little, little, little sweets um, throughout the season. And beating the Lakers twice – is always going to be sweet. Especially was Chief for, on uh, uh, Randall? Yeah. 
yeah, Chief did a magnificent job, and that's where his value lies is in his defense. But Portland held the Lakers to 32 of 83 shooting, which was like under 39%, unreal. Um, out-rebounded them 59 to 51. Remember in the first game, T-Rob and Tariq Black were just grabbing any board they wanted to. So I think inserting Ed Davis was just the right move because he he can he has the energy and the tenaciousness to grab boards just like T-Rob and Tariq. Yeah, the narrative was completely flipped. So you're talking about the first game in Portland. There was a second quarter where Tariq Black, Thomas Robinson really um, accelerated a Lakers run. I believe they got up by like 13 or 14 points. But it was completely flipped, and this time around in the Staples Center, Portland won that hustle board. You look at blocks, they're plus four in blocks. Uh, they had six deals. They outscored them in the paint, 50-42, to 42, and they just wanted it more. And you can tell that by looking at, like we said, the rebounds. 59 boards. I mean, that's going out and grabbing the ball. And so I was pleasantly surprised at that performance. I kind of thought we would lose that game. It's a Lakers team who plays better at home. They, too, probably are fighting for a playoff spot. I'm certain the the management would love for the Lakers to fall into that top three and get that pick one more year. But, you know, when you've had three consecutive lottery picks, two of them being the number two overall pick in back-to-back years, Lucky it's, bastards. Probably, it's probably time to start seeing some, some results. So making the playoffs or getting out of that top three might not be the worst thing for that franchise. So I don't think they're deliberately tanking. And... For Portland to have to have a back-to-back and any normal scheduling scenario, you've got the world champion Cavaliers coming into your building. Um, thankfully, they lost in Utah. They had to play the Jazz, which is a very tough arena the, the following the, the previous night. So neither team had the advantage um, travel-wise. But like we said, Portland got hit with 12 to 16 inches, even more so in some areas of snow. Uh, neither team could fly into PDX. They're just sitting there waiting on the tarmac both in salt lake city and uh, lax uh players tweeting are we going to play today uh we've been sitting here since 11 apparently the Cavs got into pdx somehow at 2 a.m portland had to go through SeaTac. they didn't get there till four uh they took a shuttle bus they didn't get into portland until um or excuse me they, they flew into portland didn't get there until like noon stayed up at the benson for, for the afternoon and they went straight straight to the arena mentally you've just anybody who has traveled knows that it is just completely draining on your body mm-hmm. throw in mother nature the uncertainty of whether you're playing the opponent i think the difficulties logistically and mentally for this team were the degree of difficulty if you're playing 2k that, that sliders all the way off the charts i don't know how they did it but they came ready to play, and obviously the game went on because it was on ESPN. Yeah. Do you think if it was a KGW or a Comcast Sportsnet game, I don't think that would have been played. No, I don't think so either. They, I think both teams had the night off the following night, so they could have played it then. But one, it goes to show you how crazy Rip City is. That arena was packed. And two, it goes to show you how amazing the fan base he- here is. I was on Twitter. I wanted to get just a cheap standing room only ticket because I didn't think a lot of fans were going to show up. I would buy my ticket and then move down because that's what they've done in the past when there's been weather delayed you know, events or weather has caused um, a lot of fans to possibly not go. Called the Blazers. They're like, no, like $50 is the cheapest ticket. I really wasn't about to shell out 50 bucks just on a whim. 
So I kind of put that out there on Twitter and, you know, a really amazing fan who I've known from my days as working in social media with the Trailblazers, uh, Marlene, just, you know, responded, hey, I can't make it. I'm in Hillsboro. If you want my ticket, it's free. So I was just like, this is amazing. I can walk across the Broadway Bridge and get there in like 15 minutes. But, you know, the weather was no deterrent for me. But the fact that somebody just wanted another Blazer fan in their seat to make a lot of noise to experience this game, um, that's truly amazing to me. So I shared that story on Instagram as well as Twitter. But for our listeners, you guys are special. Like, I love this fan base. And that was amazing. It was an amazing game. And I'm glad I went. I went solo for one of the first times. I really enjoyed myself, brought my camera, took some pics. But Portland made that game so special. And I thought they would win this game. I thought it would have more to do with LeBron or maybe Kyrie or Kevin Love resting, especially after losing the night before in in Utah. Then you factor in the weather delays. I thought there was no chance in hell those boys would play. They did, and Portland matched them. I think you've got to give it up to King Crab. Like he he was living up to the contract that night. Nine of eleven shooting. That was after his magical performance against Detroit a few nights ago. He had twenty four points, three of five from deep. I mean, it got to the point where every time he shot the ball, it was really you thought it was going in. It was like last year's Crab. So it was nice to see him, pun much intended, come out of his shell these past few games. It, it seems like that game was just so long ago in my memories. But I, I, I can't believe it would it would be it was a week ago next tomorrow. Yeah, I, I I think they had some trouble trying to fit Corver into their playing style, cause, and Corver was just ice cold like the weather was. When you call those games, more often than not, they're they're, they're gonna happen. I'm doing this math, and I believe they shot they shot nine of twenty eight. Their bench shot nine of twenty eight. That included Kyle Corver going um an icy one for five his one bucket wasn't garbage time but you're anytime you're playing the Cavs team you want to see guys like Channing Fry go ice cold he went one of six um James Jones didn't get into the game until late so he didn't really have an impact he is a, he's a shooter that they have at their disposal to bring in when they want to I think what's hurting the Cavs right now is they are in the I don't give a fuck mode they know they are going to lock up that one seed they had their important game against the Cavaliers on Christmas Day in Cleveland, and they kind of locked it down saying, hey, if we try, we can beat you guys. I kind of thought they would get beat. I didn't think they'd get beat by 35 against the Warriors this past MLK Day, but that's what happened. I mean, they're losing quite a few games. You can obviously see they're, they're missing J.R. Smith. They just got no production from the two. Um, Liggins was one for five. Portland really kind of played off him. And we've got to give the defense credit. They trapped the hell out of Kyrie Irving and made his life a living nightmare. He was a minus 16 on the night. He was four of 16 from the floor, 11 points, one assist. Like this guy has handles and he has shooters and he has the best player in the world on his team to hold that guy to one assist. Completely amazing. There was a moment there in the third when LeBron hit two to three threes and they brought him back under single digits. And you kind of thought, okay, here we go. Buckle in for, for a wild ride in the fourth. Tyron Lue benched him for the start of the fourth, which I thought was really interesting. And Portland kind of put it away, and LeBron really never had to come back into that game. Um, Did you think Kevin Love was going to be out for a while? That knee injury was scary. Anytime you have a non-contact injury on your knee and you go down and you're writhing in pain on the hardwood, 
I was just like, shit. I, one, I don't want to beat a team via injury. And two, I don't want to see the Warriors win a damn thing. And if Kevin Love is out for the year, there's no way the Cavaliers are beating them. So I was just kind of like really worried about Love. But he went on the um, stationary bike, got back in the game. He's played since. So, you know, false alarm. When I saw that, I was like, oh, he's either coming back this game or not at all for six weeks. Because that was a scary looking injury. I, I, I'm glad he he rested the fourth quarter because I, I I was kind of worried about his health. But probably the most surprising thing is so Portland beat the Cavs by 16, 102, 86. They did that with Dame probably playing one of his worst games of the year. I mean, very mediocre by Dame standards. 14 points on 15 shots, just three boards, three assists in 32 minutes. Uh, Everybody else picked up the slack. We're talking 24 from AC, another 25-plus point performance by, by CJ, who shot 55%, 50 from downtown. Uh, you got 13 from Harkless on 50% shooting, and Aminu chipped in again with 11 points, 12 boards. ET and, uh, had 11 assists, right? ET did have 11 assists and 8 boards to go um, along with his performance, and you can take him going 1 for 7 shooting when he's handing out the ball yeah. like that. That bounce pass, man, on the break, I thought that had no chance at – that was coming right towards me. I was like, what is he doing? Oh, how do – you know, it's like the no, 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 yes yeah. type of highlight. Oh, I was going to be pissed if that didn't work out. But when it did, I, I was kind of amazed. And this game showed how the Blazers should have been playing the, the previous 40-plus games. They played as a team. They knew collectively their talent was not as good as, as the Cavaliers. Their star power was not as good as the defending champs. But if they played as a team, they had they gave themselves a puncher's chance at surprising at surprising the Cavs. And no stat really outlines that more than they're they're doubling up in assists. Portland handed out 29 assists on 40 made field goals. Cleveland had just 14 on 28 made field goals. Obviously, it helps that you hold them to 34% shooting, and let me correct myself. I said the 87 points we held the Lakers was the lowest of the year. I believe it was actually the 86 the following night against the Cavs. So now you've got this narrative that the Blazers' defense really isn't that bad. We've got Aminu back in the fold. We're starting to um, adapt to our opponents. We've probably now uh, at least a, a mediocre defense with with Chief in the lineup and switching these pick-and-rolls and blitzing um, blitzing the ball handlers, just kind of wreaking havoc, playing with just, I would say we play like with a reckless abandon on defense. We're not giving up anything soft. We're not giving up anything conservative. We're making it actually, I would say a challenge for the opposition before it was just like, okay, walk into your mid range shot. If you make it cool, if not, that's what we wanted you to shoot. This team isn't a good defensive team. So being aggressive is going to lead to Nights where everything works out perfectly, like it did those the, against Lakers and Cavs. Yeah, and as individuals, again, individuals, individually, this team is not a good defensive team. I think individually, you piece out the players outside of Damon CJ, it's not a good team. But when they play cohesively, they can cause a lot of damage. And they are long, they are athletic, and they're young. We have harped on that this entire season on this podcast. It reminds me a little bit of the 77 Blazers. I started watching a couple of games from them um, because they're honoring them on the January 25th game 
against the Lakers in the Rose Garden coming up for the 40th anniversary of the championship. So I went back, you know, I always want to um, kind of bone up on my Blazers history and heritage. And that team passed the ball fantastically. They played as as one. I'm not saying this team is anywhere near a championship level team, but they would have much better results if they had embodied that philosophy from the from the jump. You have to basketball can be a beautiful game. I, I know it's the one major sport where one player can really define a generation, can define a game. But I truly believe if you have five guys who play cohesive basketball, you look back at through history, you've got the 77 Blazers, the 04 Pistons, that can overcome one or two great players. We need to see this more from a consistent basis with the Trailblazers because it's just not carrying over. This might be the most Jekyll and Hyde Blazers team that I can remember in history. Uh, the only team that's really giving them a run for their money is the the 2001 Blazers who were leading the Western Conference in, in the in fact, yeah, the Western Conference at the All-Star break. They were the number 1 seed. They finished 7th and they got swept out of the first round by the Lakers. That had more to do with just how batshit crazy and how dysfunctional that locker room was. From all accounts, nobody can tell what the fuck is going wrong with this team. And I think a lot of Blazer fans hit their breaking point the following game, Friday night. It was, oddly enough, Friday the 13th against the Orlando Magic. Uh, Portland loses 115-109. to 109. They jump out of the gate on a 17-1 to 1 Sage. And I'm there for... I'm actually, I was actually at the game with my buddy Ian. We were working on a shoot for a client, so we're doing a Blazers video. So we got some really sweet access. Um, so I was watching the game, but also trying to take pictures and gather sound. And I'm like, come on, guys, 17 to like, what, what is going on? And they just had no energy for a team that had their best one of the year. I mean, they're really starting to, to make ground. They had won at the time three of their past four games, four of their past, um, for the past six, it's actually starting to see some consistency. And what do they do? They they go back to full Blazers. Um, I am at a complete loss as to what this team. I, I just Sage, how does that happen? How do you lose to the Magic? They are two and eight. They are two and eight in their last ten games, and they come into your home arena the night two nights after Portland's biggest win, and they smacked us in the goddamn mouth, and we did not a thing about it. Well, I mean. There, we couldn't defend Vucevic. He looked like a all-star against us. And then Alfred Payton, I, I don't think we talked about it at all. We didn't address it. But after he came back from getting benched by, uh, fuck, their coach, he started playing really good basketball. So, I don't know. I, I just think it was our lack of being able to defend a traditional center. With so, those moves. Skilled guys. Vucevic averages 14 and 10 on the year with a block. Pretty respectable, but I think his Off numbers the are bench definitely. Too. Yeah, his numbers are definitely down. He got the start in 32 minutes. Dude had 30 points on 13 of 18 shooting, 10 boards, four assists, two blocks, and completely changed the complexion of the game. We had no answer for him. And it seemed like every time we tried to make a run, we could not get over the hump. It was Alfred Payton hitting a three. Um, Jeff Green got a couple buckets. You know, Myers not taking it strong against Biombo when he could have easily dunked on him. Like, there's just so many plays. Um, 
Dame and CJ cannot do it all. They combined for 60 points. Nobody else was in double figures. Oh, Evan Turner had 15. But you look at Alan Crabb, who got the starting lineup. Seven points on three of ten. So he came off going 24 points back to seven, and he even got a starting role. So this is my concern with Alan Crabb is don't be a prisoner of the moment. Look at Alan Crabb's career as a whole from a high elevation and kind of look at what – this is where I really do value analytics. Look at what the data is telling you when he has peaks, when he has valleys. Is he consistent? I expected more from AC. Like I went to the game and I was like, why is Mo Harkless not playing? I finally Did found you think Twitter. it was a trade? Did you think that it was like a trade and they wanted to hold him out for it? I mean, as I was in, in arena working, no. I thought, okay, he has a calf injury. It's like, that's weird. I had never heard of that coming up. Previously, um, AC starting, okay, we should still win this game. But then Jason Quick's mentioning after the game that Festus Azili's in the locker room. He's shaking everyone's hand, giving them hugs like it's going to be his, his last hurrah. He mentioned he's not on this road trip, but he will be waiting in Portland for them to return and that he can't report on all things that he knows. So Quick was being very... He was being a tease. I mean, I, you know, I appreciate the information, but at the same time, that's a complete tease and you're just waiting to drive website clicks because if you know something, like, let us know. Like, are we waving him? Is he retiring? Is he being dealt? And that's when fans, that's when fans started doing the, you know, two plus two equals four. Festus is leaving. People saw Mo Harkless, like, start to arrive and shoot around. Then he left the bench. People were mentioning that, you know, he started, like, hugging everybody, too. It's like, okay, is Mo gone now? Uh, what's going on? So maybe that had something to do with Portland's just horrendous start. I don't know. Regardless, you have to have more mental focus than that. And that leads me to believe that something is going on in this locker room that we do not know about. Maybe it will come out after the season. But for right now, it is extremely maddening because – they had no business losing that game. I mean, statistically, they won in all of the major categories that you want a team um, to win. And we were equal in rebounds. We actually had three more offensive rebounds. Steals were pretty equal. Um, points in the paint, we dominated them. 48-32. to 32. You wouldn't have thought a Blazers team going up against Vucevic would have well, won. Well, Vuce did a lot of his stuff in the mid-post and three. Exactly. And in the past, he's done a lot in the post. So you're like, oh, Portland. If you would have told me Portland was plus 16 in the paint coming off that Cavs game when they were um, plus 22 in the paint, I mean, they're, they're just really dominating the paint lately for a Blazers team that's that lacks a traditional low post score. That's pretty incredible. If you would have told me that going into the game, I said, yeah, you know, we are going to blow them out. Just like we all predicted what happens. We just don't show up. Probably the worst loss of the year in a season that has had a million terrible moments. That probably takes the cake for me. So we have another game. um, But if you had to, if you had to bet what players will be on this team in 2019, who are they? 2019? God damn, dude. I can't even think about next week. So, uh, so like, the, so the 2018 2019 season. In two years from now. I mean. I think it's Dame, CJ, and Evan Turner. Well, I think it's Dame and CJ. I don't think anyone's trading for Evan Turner. That's why. <laughs> I mean, but the, the beautiful thing about contracts is it's only four years and he's already played one of the years, three year deal. Like, that's, that's, and he's actually playing well lately. So I don't think that contracts as bad as, Everyone's making it out to be. Nothing is set in stone. So even if there's positive things that you can take from this year, 
you have no idea if those players are going to be on this team in in a year even. It, it's tough to build a foundation when you don't know who's going to be surrounding your two all-stars. I can even make an argument one of the two stars is gone. It's, yeah. so, it, it's so up in the air of what this team is going to do. And it's completely frustrating because Portland was such a young team last year. They had already had their team gutted. They completely overachieved. We bring nearly everyone back, and you're looking at, okay, this is the team. Like You can think of a, maybe a three-for-one consolidation trade to get us that third key key player, but for the, for the majority, this is your squad you're going to ride and die with for the next five years if you're a Trailblazer fan. To see this type of season, it's really disheartening. You're looking probably at another, I think, a rebuild. I don't know if you can really reload with this team. I don't think you should reload with this team. I think you need to go with Damon CJ and build around them whatever you can do, really play up to the draft of Neil's strengths of finding good draft picks. Um, because right now, a lot of players have odd value. I, I mean, You look at Mo Harkless, he's got a great contract. He's a two-way player. Aminu and Davis are on team-friendly deals. Plumlee's played out of his mind this year, but is the team going to gamble on matching any deal he gets as a restricted free agent? And then you've got Alan Crabb, who is young, is locked in to another three years after the season, but has kind of shown flashes of brilliance, a little bit of consistency, and then he's reverted back to kind of what's, I know, kept him back from being great. And that's a little bit of his inconsistencies this season and in the past. So if you're a Blazer fan, the future is very hazy right now. Oh, absolutely. And with the new CBA clause, it's harder for... I'd say there was a 0.1% chance that we'd get a all-star. Now it's like a 0.001 chance that we get one because of the money that people will get. So the way you get talent, especially if you're a small market team, draft them or trade for them. And we're seeing this team do the little things wrong, and that's probably the first sign that something's not right. Late in the game, we're seeing, I think Mason missed some free throws. Dame missed some free throws. Uh, maybe missed a free throw, excuse me, because he was 8 of 9. I know you can't expect him to make every free throw he takes. But when you're trying to claw back, you're looking at points here and there that we missed. And I don't want to turn this into Myers Hour on the podcast, but a play that extremely was was worrisome to me and really frustrating. I think we were down 5 less than a minute to go. Myers catches the ball middle of the paint. I mean, I've seen him do this his rookie year over Andre Miller. He just rose up, flexed on him, and threw it down one-handed. I was, we were I at that game camera, together. We I had my together. camera ready, ready to get these shots. And halfway through, he stops and throws up this one-handed push floater, which I don't know how often he practices. It's hard enough for Damon CJ to master, let alone a seven-foot big. I don't know why he went up so weak like that, but... That play was the embody- embodiment of what Meyer- of where Myers Leonard is at right now. And I think it is all mental with Myers because he's got the physical capabilities just, just to bang on Biombo right there. Like he, If he would have went up strong with a confidence and almost with a vengeance, like I'm going to dunk on you. There's nothing you're going to stop. There's nothing you're going to do to stop it. It would have happened. Worst case, it's he, a foul. Worst case, it's a foul. But I think he's just so um, mentally – I don't know what's the word I'm thinking of not unstable, but mentally not. He's not mentally strong right now. Um, I think he's lacking confidence in his abilities. He hasn't had a good, good game in a while. So, you know, he's probably doubting himself. I, 
he shouldn't doubt himself. This is the time right now when everybody's struggling to say, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to put on because he does have the ability to do it. But that play just kind of symbolized the Myers in a nutshell this season. And really ever since that Memphis series, when he showed so much brilliance and whether it's been an injury or a rotation, rotation um, in frequencies with Terry not getting the minutes he should get. Uh, I don't know what it was, but that miss right there. And then you see him after he, he missed it. He kind of just shook his head and was like, you know, damn it. Myers like to himself. And you know, he wants to make that shot more than any fan in that arena probably combined. So I don't want to get hard on him there. Uh, I just think a change of scenery will help him so much. I think a change of scenery is going to help him. I think he just needs, uh, yeah, he just needs a change. I don't know what it is, but if he, if he went to a good team with that could utilize him well, I think he could blossom into something. I think yeah, I Portland. Just, I just think this situation, this team. He, he, he's it reminds me a lot of Nick Nick Batum. We had Batum for probably five six years as well, and it was the same story with Nick. Brilliance one game, inconsistency the other game. Uh, other game, getting hurt all the time in the offseason by playing with his his country. Um, he's doing a little bit better in Charlotte and that trade doesn't look so great right now for Portland, but that's just, if you're Neil, you, you kind of you have, have to get to, something for him. You have to one, you have to get something for him Two, I don't think Portland could have rolled the dice on a max deal for Nick. We, we had seen what he brought to the table for all those years and the Nick that's in Charlotte, I don't think would have been. Oh, the Nick absolutely not. Point. Absolutely not. So that's what I think fans need to realize. And if, if we deal Myers and he ends up doing well elsewhere, that's just the nature of the beast. That's be how the game's played. Be, uh, be happy for him. And don't get too down on Myers. Like, you can be upset that he missed the shot, but, you know, he's out there trying. It's not like he's trying to be terrible. Um, he wants to succeed. It's just, I think that shot right there was a moment in time where that's Portland season in a nutshell. That's Myers' season in a nutshell. Should have done one thing, did the other. It didn't work. And now Portland lost, and they're looking at starting a four game. Eastern Conference road trip off of the worst loss of the season. I, I, um, I got one thing to say, then we can talk about the Washington Wizards. Go for it, bud. This is how I feel, and you can call me stupid or whatever. I think that right now the Portland Trail Blazers have both feet in the, the water of tank and go for the playoffs. I think that's the worst move that we could possibly do. Like Mob Deep said, there's no such thing as a halfway crook. We have to actually choose what we do and stick to it. If if we want to go for the eighth seed, let's fucking do it. None of this f- bullshit where we try and keep our assets and make the playoffs. I want to choose one of the uh, one or the other. So if it's tank, let's actually do it right. If it's go to the playoffs, let's actually do it. Make a trade. Do something. No, I think you're 100% correct in that. We we need to get out of this mediocre pool that we're trying to play in and make a move, whether it's, okay, let's start Von Ley. Let's give Shabazz Napier legit rotation minutes for a 10-game stretch. And hell, let's see what Jake Lehman can do off the bench. Obviously, the rotations that we have right now, they're not getting it done. Outside of Damon CJ, we're just seeing a lot of, and you're going to hear this word a lot on this podcast, inconsistencies. And... It looked like they just did not give a flying fuck against the Washington Wizards. Um, I was able, I had to work from home on on Monday, so I had the game on, but obviously when you're working, you can't really 
pay attention like you would if you're watching for for fun. But I got home and I had the game recorded and I was watching from the beginning. I saw we we got down 10-0 and I was actually on my phone looking at another app during commercial. I accidentally hit the NBA app and I saw the halftime score. 75 to 50. I was like, Olga, let's just watch it live because there's no way I'm sitting through that first half. And they never made it close. Terry Stotts pulls every starter with four minutes left in the third and really has the closers play the majority of the second half. Portland loses 120 to 101. I didn't mind that, though. No, not at all. But, you know, Portland suffered a 19-point defeat um, on MLK Day. I know people could say it's 11 a.m. It was bullshit. 2 It was 2 p.m. their time. Yeah. 2 p.m. is not a regular start either. Um, everyone's dealt the same hand. And for them to show up, I mean, you're talking two games against two mediocre Eastern Conference teams. Portland has started out a combined one. They scored a point. They let their opponent score, goddamn, 27. I mean, you're talking about 27 to one hole combined in those two games. That's not a recipe for success. I don't know if you can blame Terry or not. I'm sure he's saying, guys, we need to play. Yeah, you, you can't blame him for them not doing what he says. I mean, you can blame – I blame Mason for not covering Marcus Gasol for that three. I, I, we heard Terry say, cover him. You can't just blame the coach. It's on those players for not following what is said. Because Terry's not thinking tank. He's thinking we're trying to win as many games as humanly possible. And it was unfortunate to see the Wizards backcourt, who has been compared to Portland's, completely outshine um, the Blazer backcourt. Wall and Beal were wreaking havoc all game long. They combined for 49 points, 12 dimes, 5 steals, which we knew is was a problem going into that Washington game. They love forcing turnovers. They love playing the passing lanes. And they they're, love getting out of the break. They're, they're young, they're long, just like Portland. And that's how they play. Wall's been balling out of control lately. Um, it was really the perfect storm to play that Wizards team coming off of that magic loss. Not only is Washington starting to play better basketball, but you can see Portland start to kind of go in that hole that we've seen them go down before this season. I mean, their backup point guard got 10 and 10. I have no, who, who the fuck is that guy? Someone who beat Trey Burke for a position. I've used him in DFS maybe once or twice. I mean, I'm not trying to be to, to be rude, but who is Tomas Sadarnaski? Like, I've never heard of that guy before in my life, and you're letting him get 10 and 10 on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think if we traded for Paul Millsap, went for the 8th seed this year, got the 4th seed next year, I think that's just fine. I'd be cool with a 3 of those 3 for a few years. It's just, we have to choose. It's all about... I, I think Rip City, would, if you were able to explain, hey, this isn't our year, we've we've tried a lot, it's time to get a pick. I think people would understand. I know there's a lot of anti-tankers in Rip City, but well, we need something. Well, first of all, can we define what we think tanking is? Sure. I think tanking, like you said, has a negative connotation. There probably needs to be another word for it. Tanking to the world probably means I'm resting Damon CJ's listing phony injuries here and there not trying to win games. That's absolutely false. What we're saying by tanking is let's play more younger players. Let's run different sets. Let's see what we have. Let's not play Damon CJ 30 plus minutes a night. Let's see how maybe Alan Crabber reacts to taking the final shot. 
Let's see how Noah Vonley reacts going up against Anthony Davis for a full 48 minutes. Let's see, you know, what Myers Leonard reacts starting a game. It's trying and experimenting a bunch of different things to see what you have. It's not blatantly losing, but you're not putting your best your best assets forward to get the win. So you're it's basically, in my opinion, 40 games of chemistry experiments. I forgot I brought that up. That was a long time ago. You were re-explaining it to me like, hey, I, I think I said that shit a while ago. But you did. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, it, it's just we have to choose. I, I'm ha- If we choose to go for the eight seed, fuck it. I'm all on board. But if we choose to tank, I'm all on board. I mean, there's obviously something I'd prefer, but I'm willing to do whatever. I just hate being middling. I want no part of that eighth seed. Sage, that's going to be four quick games. That's going to be blowouts. That's going to be a lot of Warrior fans in the Rose Garden. And I'm just – 2016 was rough enough. I don't need 2017 getting off to that type of start. I've been through enough shit as a Blazer fan. Please, Lord, basketball God, save me from experiencing a week of that bullshit. I I just don't give a shit. I'd rather be the eighth seed and see wins than get really pissed off. But no, this team isn't thinking about tanking. I, I, it, it's frustrating to see the team play well two games, then shit the bed two other games. I want to see some consistency. If we could even get the seventh seed, I'd be fine. I think we have... Well, I know, mean, with cl- the Clippers losing CP for six to eight weeks, there's things opening up and injuries will happen. Yeah, the Rockets are the Rockets are beatable. That does not seem like a playoff-type team. That seems like a team built for the regular season. Um, OKC, Utah, those teams are, we've already kicked OKC's ass once this year. We beat Utah. Uh, those teams are beatable. I just think the Warriors, they're going to be on a mission to get to the finals. That's going to be a slaughter fest. We could see multiple 20 point blowouts. I'm just not about that. I would rather take my chances with the 12th or 11th pick, but Hey, like you said, if you want to fight for a playoff spot and you can get up to seven, be my guest. I would love to see that. Um, but right now time is running out. Portland's already played 43 games stage. Yeah. They have 39 games left, and after Denver's win in Los Angeles tonight, the Nuggets... Jokic is, is a stud muffin. Jokic is turning into that unicorn like like Kristaps and, and Giannis. Um, they've got themselves... He could be that bonafide star that we were talking that Denver lacks. They've only played 40 games. They had to take that, that long layoff to go over to London to play the Pacers, so they've got a lot of games to make up, but right now, Portland is two back of them in the loss column, and seven back of the Thunder in the for the seventh seed. And what's so frustrating about this team is both Memphis and Oklahoma City are leaving the door wide open to jump them. They are both five and five in their last ten. Had Portland won those two games, they should have beaten the Wizards and they should have beaten the, the Magic. They would only be five back in the loss column. That's nothing with, with 39 games left. If you keep hovering around seven, it's so you got to shit or get off the pot. And I keep hearing people say this. And I've said this too, like the schedule's easing up. The schedule's going to ease up. But what happens when you don't take advantage? Detroit at home and Orlando at home, those are ease up moments and we're not taking advantage of it. So when I, from now on, when I hear schedules easing up, there's no easy game for this Trailblazers team. You never know what the hell you're going to get. I mean, what, what is, what makes Marcus all so good? He's winning with players like Ty Williams, Troy, Dan- Troy Daniels. How are – I think we can both agree the Blazers are better on paper, right? Yeah. How does a team full of 
unknown scrubs plays so well with Mark Gasol. What is it about Mark that makes those players play better? I don't think it's necessarily Mark. I think you're looking at the exact same scenario as the Blazers last year. You've got the media. You've got even fans. You've got opposition underestimating you. When you can put a chip on your shoulder and give yourself that extra added advantage, it's really going to make it a nightmare for the, for a team to go into your house or to welcome them into your own and know that you're going to have 48 minutes of, of hell. They are going to claw, scratch, bite, kick, scream all the way to the finish line. And more times than not, they're going to come out on top simply because they want it more. One, they have a new head coach in David Fisdell, so they're probably buying into what he's selling right now, especially for, for the interim Um I don't th- that type of basketball obviously isn't sustainable over the course of multiple seasons as we're seeing with the Trailblazers. But for right now, they feel underappreciated. They've got that chip on their shoulder. They're basically going West Matthews on everybody. They're saying, "I've we're the dogs. We want it more. We're hungry. You've got some food. We're going to take it from you." And I think even though those are no name players, they're all tall, lengthy, ath- length, athletic wing defenders. And when you have Marcus Gasol, he, he makes a lot of things easier. So you're looking at a Blazers team sitting at 18-25. and 25, Three more games left on this Eastern Conference road trip. Before we dig into that Eastern Conference road trip... For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Warby Parker is offering a free five-day home try-on to give you an opportunity to check out their classes. Warby Parker keeps their styles highly curated, fashion-forward, extremely wearable, while including high-quality lenses and coatings at no additional cost. It's everything you need in one easy package for your glasses needs. To get your home try-on today, go to warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard for your free five-day try-on. To the Holy Backboard Podcast, Sage. Let's dive into some upcoming games. Portland has on tap for the week three out east. We've got the Hornets on Wednesday at four Pacific. Friday against Joe, uh, the Process and the 76ers um, again at four, and then a back-to-back Saturday, uh, two p.m. Portland time against Celtics. Against the Celtics, so another odd time for the Blazers. Then they don't play till Wednesday. So they've got three important games. Personally, these three games define the season for Portland. They I lose all the, I they think, lose all three. Mm-hmm. They are going they're not making the playoffs. I think they go like we say more towards the tank mode. They take two out of three. I think we're, we'll see the same Blazers basketball we've seen this season where they're are they going to fight for the 8th seed? Are they going to tank? Are they going to they're going to still have their they're 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 floaties on. They'll still be afloat. They won't be you know completely submerged underwater. But um, I think you had a point you were trying to make. All right, this is actually the this is actually a very important week for Blazer fans to pay attention to New Orleans because 
I think they're legitimately the only team that has a better star player that could get them to the playoffs. He's hurt. I think if they lose to the Nets and Magic, they tank too. So you have to pay... They, Blazer fans have to pay attention to how they're doing this week as well as the Blazers. Because that's a very... How the Pelicans do is very indicative of what the, of the options the Blazers can do. And, you know, you want to mention the Pelicans in terms of the tanker playoffs boat. Watch the Nuggets. They might just flat out surpass the Blazers. Um, after losing five straight, they've won three straight. Um, an impressive win in London over the Pacers by 28. They come back um, from London, from the United Kingdom. They hammer the magic at home, something Portland couldn't do. Then they go at Los Angeles the following night, which was tonight, and they they hand the Lakers another loss. They've got a pretty pretty decent stretch throughout the rest of the month. Um, at the Spurs, home against the the Chris Paul, um, less Hornets on the whoa, road against whoa, whoa. Hornets or Clippers. Clippers, you know, we play for both teams. Well, one I have deep admiration for the other i could give a shit less then they they host the jazz and Suns. they do a home and home with phoenix so they go at phoenix and they're at the lakers again so the nuggets are probably going to play 500 plus basketball on that stretch the only really significant loss i can see is at san antonio they have the capabilities of winning or losing really every other game the rest of the way but you mentioned Jokic; he has actually led the both both teams in points and rebounds, their their last three wins. So and he's, he's at career highs the last two games. So he's playing at an all star level. So that's a team that's you know ascending in the right direction. If, and if you're Portland and you really want the playoffs, not only watch the Pelicans to see if they're going to be competition, but you know we've been kind of dismissing the Nuggets. But with Portland's recent, again inconsistent play, it's opened the door for a team like the Nuggets to finally make a playoff push. You know they haven't made the playoffs in in quite some time, probably since. No, they made it when I think the last time they made the playoffs was 2013. They they got upset by the Warriors. They were the three seed. The Warriors were the six seed. That's when they had Iguodala for that one year. So their fans are ready to make the playoffs. They don't care if they lose to the. No, they want to be there. They they want to be there. They have another pick too, so they're fine. They don't care. They want to see their team in the playoffs. But Portland, they have a tall task on their hands. Um. They start off with the Hornets, who were kind of the flavor of the East for, I would say, the first quarter of the, of the regular season. If you're looking at the playoffs right now, they are actually 20-21 and 21 on the outside looking in. They are the ninth seed. They've lost five in a row, and their home record has dipped to just 12-7, and 3-7 and seven out of their last 10 games. This needs to, if you're Portland, this needs to be a game you have to win. Earlier in the season, it looks like a loss. Right now, it has to be a win. Kemba is going to be fighting for an all-star spot. You know he's going to want to be at least in the playoff hunt if if they're going to give it to him. That's just how all-star voting works. But Sage, what do the Blazers need to do to to get a dub in Buzz City? I think Kemba's been really hit or miss lately. The most consistent player on that team, we've talked about him earlier, is Nick Batum. He's just so consistent for that team. I think Kemba's going to be a fucking bitch to defend because of his speed and quickness. But we got to watch out for Batum. It's going to be a team ready for the home cooking. I mentioned they had lost five straight. Those were all on the road. Um, 
we have said this time and time again on the podcast. The first game home is essentially a road game. But when you've lost five straight and you see a limping Blazers team coming in, if I'm Charlotte, I'm licking my chops. Oh, absolutely. And Nick, this starts a five-game homestand for them. So this kicks off a five-game, five straight games at home. This is a chance to get right, make a strong push for the playoffs right before the All-Star break. And realistically, it's it's a game. If you're a Charlotte fan, you think we have to have this game. If you're if you're a Portland fan, you're hoping to have this game. So this might be the most important game for the Trailblazers this year. I think it could set off uh, a domino effect either way, regard, depending on the outcome. Would you I, agree with that? Oh, yeah. And I, I, th- I think it's Batum to have a little bit of a revenge game. But, I mean, other than Batum and, uh, and Kemba, it's not really a scary team. I think MKG can produce well, but those bigs don't scare me at all. I think Dame and CJ should really try and penetrate because... Cody, one of the Zeller brothers, Frank the Cody. Tank, Cody, they're not scaring me. I guess I'd be a little bit more tentative if, what's his face? Al, oh shit, I don't even remember. Al Pacers. Jefferson's gone, he's on the no, Pacers. No, Pacers guy. Uh, when David West was there, what's his name? Roy Hibbert. Yeah, like, when I forget Roy Hibbert's name, who was a defensive player of the year, I mean... What I would do if I was the Blazers, I would attack the middle of that defense because no one's scaring me. And you look at this starting lineup. you got Kemba, Batum, Marvin Williams, MKG, and Cody Zeller. That's almost Blazers East. You're looking at a team that has no post scoring, a really good defensive wing, and you get most of your scoring and your distribution from your backcourt. Portland's got a better starting five than that. Frankly, they've got a much better bench as well. Roy Hibbert racked up a DMP last game, but... I think Lamb's hurt too. Lamb is hurt. Um, Marco's not, and he's a professional scorer, and I know he's torched us once or twice. He has done that in the past. I think if you're Portland, points in the paint are going to be key. You mentioned it. Attack Cody Zeller. Also on defense, I would do a lot of the same thing. I would double and blitz and trap and do whatever to get the ball out of Kemba Walker's hands. I think well, you leave want, MKG, right? I'd leave MKG. I would leave. I'd leave Nick Batum. Uh, uh, I, I think Batum will kill us. But I th- he shot 0-4 last game. Um, he's has been kind of in a funk. Obviously, I wouldn't leave him open the entire game, but Kemba is the player you do not want shooting the basketball. All right, I, I'm just going to be honest. Nick Batum is going to be on my DFS roster tomorrow. I, I, <laughs> I mean, MKG might, but I, I think MKG is a mix of a worse shooting Harkless and a more tenacious Amino, he's pretty scary, but those post players don't scare me at all. No, I think the player I'm worried about is Marvin Williams because he is a stretch for, he kind of matches what Aminu brings, but he's a much more consistent Aminu in terms of shooting the basketball. I would not leave him open. And we have to just make sure we, we rebound the basketball just because there's not a big presence inside doesn't mean our guards can just, you know, let up and not attack the defensive glass. So, I'm really looking for this team to rebound the basketball. And I think the X factor, it has to be a fast start. If we get down 10 points again, it's over. I want to, even if, even if as you're a fan, you do not want to see this team come out like they don't give two shits. So fast start is my X factor. Usually I pick a player, but I think it really has to be a quick start. We've come off two extremely disappointing games 
I've said this. This is the most important game of the season. If you're a Blazer fan and you're wanting the playoffs, if we come out like we just don't give a shit, that is a huge red flag that there is more more of this play to come for the rest of the season. I think I think Nick Batum is my X factor, but I think the thing I want to watch for is the defense on the pick and pop. They don't they're not a pick and roll team. Zeller, Frank, Marvin Williams are all shooters. And so, Spencer Haas. Oh, and Spencer Haas. I, I I think that if we have to cover the pick man as he's rolling out to the three. And in the past, we have not done that at all. So I want to say you, that. How are you feeling about this game? You oh, think I, it think, I think it's a loss. Yeah, I mean, that's what my my mind is saying, loss. But this Blazers team is so weird that they might just come out and win. On the other hand, I don't like the fact that the Hornets have lost five straight and they're coming home. That alone shows me that they're probably going to be a little more intense and scrappy. I think the Hornets win. I think it's going to be a pretty ugly game, to be honest. And I think they probably win by two two or three points. But it's going to be more, I think, of a, a sloppier game. Again, the Hornets are playing the first game back home. Portland's on a road trip. Neither team really has any momentum right now. So you might see sparks from from either team. So don't be surprised if if you see one team go up 10, then the other team come back up 10. Like I think it could be a roller coaster ride. I'll give the edge to Charlotte just because they are at home. And they have they do have some of those those I think memorable moments. Kemba's hit a, a few big shots this season. I think he could do it. But Marvin Williams, watch out for him, Rip City. So we move on to the Philadelphia 76ers, and you know, bless their hearts, their fans for trusting the process, believing in it. They lost Ben Simmons probably for the year now. Um, their second top three pick that they've lost for this first year. Um, third, if you want to count a lottery pick, Dario Saric, who took two years to come over. And Nerlens was out. He was the sixth. Nerlens has been out. They Jaleel Okafor, they can't decide whether to play him or Nerlens. But Joel Embiid has been a blessing for not only Sixers, but for the fans of the NBA. He has brought an enjoyment to the game, uh, an excitement. He's a player that now I want to watch. I actually have half-season tickets. The Sixers were part of that package. Early on in the year, I was like, oh, I might transfer those tickets to a, see another team. I'm keeping those tickets down oh, because absolutely. I want I yeah. want to see Embiid play. In, like when I watch uh, League Pass with my mom, and the Sixers are playing, and Joel Embiid is actually playing, I'll skip some good games to watch him play. He and he's still energy. putting up numbers in a minutes restriction too. Twenty eight minutes. He's still getting busy. Mm-hmm. His has- usage rate when he's on the court is fantastic. I mean, I can't remember the last time the Sixers have been plus 500 in a 10-game stretch. Mm-hmm. They're 6-4 and four out of their last 10. They're 13-26 and 26 on the year. They're really only 6 out of the playoffs. I know he, he said they're, they're going to make the playoffs. That's their goal. Probably not going to happen, but I think next year is when they make their push, when they get everybody ready. Um, he's the real deal. He's a player if, you sold If injuries did not exist, I, I think people are putting way too much trust in them staying healthy. I, I think Zadrunas Elgauskas was the only big that I can recall that has been was out two years with foot problems and was healthy the rest of his career. If, if, if this was NBA 2K, this would be a fun team for the future. But big man with feet injuries scared the shit out of me. But while he's playing, 
he is a joy to watch. I th- I honestly think it, he could be the second best big in the NBA right now, behind Boogie. AD. I, he's a center though. When you say best the center, okay. I think Anthony Davis is better, and that's about it. Anthony Davis is a power forward though. No, he's playing most of his minutes center, but yeah. But yeah, I, I think he's he is a joy to watch. He hits threes at a really consistent rate. He rebounds well. He blocks shots. He's a fun player to watch. I think Nerlens Noel will definitely be up for this game just because it's been rumored so much that Portland. If he plays, though, he was a DMP last game. Okafor is the one that got 20 minutes. Man. And I'm kind of scared of what Ursan Ilyasova will do to us. He used to murder us as a buck. Um He's the, he's the stretch four who can get busy from deep if we don't really pay His attention to him. His pump fake is deadly from three. He'll pump fake you. I know our bigs. We'll jump. And he'll drive to the lane and get a layup. He is very crafty. He might not be athletic, but he, my God, he is crafty. But to go back to Embiid a bit, he, in 28 minutes in their last win, an impressive victory at Milwaukee. He gets 22-12. and 12. And five blocks, like you said, in the 28-minute restriction. He got to the line 18 times. Like, he's finding new ways to score. Getting to the line, we know he's got the three-point shot. He's got moves in the post. Um, If you're a Philly fan, you've got to be feeling really good right now because he's that top pick in the draft. In the 2014 draft, which has been pretty underwhelming, they rolled the dice. They had to wait two years, but right now it's paying off. And Injuries did not exist. And that, I mean, that's going to be the qualifier for him for the rest of his career. Embiid or Cat, who would you go with? Ooh, no such thing as injuries? No such thing as injuries. He will be as healthy as Cat will for his entire oh. career. I know who I'm picking. Oh, my God. Let me watch Embiid live. Okay, I'm, I've, go, I've, I'm, I've going, highlights. I'm going Embiid over Cat, without question. Now, if you ask me this last, so if it's last year's Cat versus this year's Embiid, I'm taking Cat. But Cat has kind of regressed a little that bit. Def- Embiid can play defense, and th- that's why. I mean, offensively, I think Cat might be ahead of him, but there's two sides of the ball. I take Embiid over Cat. Yeah, I don't think I'll ask I you it directly after the game. Yeah, yeah, ask me that directly after the game because Cat definitely is a better passer. Um, but. It's incredible how well Embiid has risen up the NBA ranks. But if you're Portland and you're looking for a way in to win this game. Now, reminder, Philly played us very tough last year. They they whipped our ass by 25-plus in Philly. Uh, Jalil Okafor, that was his coming out party against us. And then it took uh, um, CJ late and one to, to fend off the Sixers in Portland. So Portland has shown a history of not showing up for games against Philly, this this Philly team. Um, so number one, watch out for that. So don't be surprised if we get waxed by the Sixers. They've done it before. They could easily do it again. They have their best team in years. But if Portland is to win, it it's going to be a Dame CJ performance where they just where they strap the team on their back and say, we're going to get you 60, 70 points. Just come along for the ride. Chip in wherever you can because they should absolutely destroy Sergio Rodriguez and Nick Stauskas. They should completely dominate that backcourt. You're looking at CJ McCollum, who didn't have his 25 points against the um, the Wizards. His streak ended. 
he should get 35 against. I mean, he we need to feed McCollum to get to get going. Dame can pick and choose his spots, but I'm looking at Stauskas on CJ, and if I'm CJ, I'm just lit up because you're 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 getting your money that night. You're getting hung. You're gonna get fed. Um, Portland on paper should win this game going away, but there's something to be said about a little magic. And I'm not talking Orlando. I'm talking Philadelphia. The the Sixers are playing with a spark that I don't think they've had in quite some time. Since Probably Drew Holiday was on the team. Since Drew and Andre Iguodala. And I don't think that was more evident than when they really stole a game at home against the Knicks. And you've got TJ McConnell, who hits a game-winning shot and runs. And he's, he's up there like he's fucking Rocky. And he's got his fist pumped. And they're, they're stoked. The fans are going wild. This team has a Blazers feel about them last year when like just like Memphis, you said, like they it's all for one and they're playing as a team and they're ready to prove all of these doubters wrong. Portland's now playing with that target on their back and it's not going so well for them. So it almost comes down to which Blazers team shows up and we can sit here and analyze this game, you know, statistics, categories, um, matchups. At the end of the day, it's really about which Blazers team wants it. And that's why it's so difficult to kind of predict what's going to happen. But I'm going to put you on the spot, Sage. What's your X factor, and do you think they're going to get it done? I think that we have to be positive. I, I, I think we'll be negative whenever Jalil Embiid is on the floor. I think we need to make our push when he's off the floor because he, he is on a minutes restricted restriction. So that's the time we make a... A push. I also think if you are watching this game on TV, tune in early for the 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 Sixers pregame. I think it's pretty cool. And they do like the Philly. They ring the Philly bell and the graphics shoot up. It's pretty dope. I, I, I fucks with it pretty heavy. Yep, I'm gonna go back to the backcourt scoring. I think Dame and CJ need to combine not for 50, 55, maybe even sixty points. Um, it's going to really be Damon CJ versus Embiid. Um, who's going to get the better of their matchup? So then you're looking at offensively. How do we get Embiid either in foul trouble or wear him out? I think you need to play him in the high pick and roll with Mason Plumley. Is he going to trap? Is he going to leave Mason open? If they do, let's throw the lob up there. If he doesn't commit, Damon CJ both need to get by their man and then make Embiid decide whether he's going to go for the block or stay at home. And then you, you make him pay. So that's my number one X factor. Two, I think it's bench scoring. And particularly in the paint, because if Embiid leaves, Jalil Okafor is not a good defensive player. We need to attack him inside. Like So we're looking at guys like Noah Vonley and Ed Davis. They need to just really get those offensive rebounds, dominate the paint, get those, like we said, those Kobe assists. They need to just scrap and get, get putbacks. If we can do that, we will win the game. So those are my two X factors. I'm very confident that Damon CJ are going to get theirs. I don't know how well the bench guys are going to uh, produce, but that's what's going to have to happen for Portland to, you know, leave the city of brotherly love with a dub. What I, do you think, Sage? I think what's your gut telling you? I, I think we lose, but I, you, you, you can't shame me for thinking we're going to lose after those two games just bright in my mind. I think we'll lose. I think... Philly's interior is going to be a little overwhelming for our shitty interior defense. I mean, Jaleel could totally go off for 25 because ain't no one on this team stopping him when he gets into his post moves. I'm going to predict a win. Um, 
Would you trade your the first overall for Jaleel? The first overall pick in the the twenty seventh first uh, uh, rounder. Excuse me. I would see if you get him a little bit cheaper, but I would definitely make a move for Jaleel. I think he's the tight. He is. I think he is more of the target type than Nerlens Noel. Jaleel is that underperforming lottery pick, kind of similar to Mo Harkless. Similar. He was the third pick last year too. He has a lot of talent. He never wanted to go to Philly from the jump. He knows he's never going to be the man because they've got Embiid and now they have Noel and then they got Dario and Ben Simmons. So in the front court, he's low on the totem pole. If he came to Portland, he'd be very high. Um, like Myers, I think Jalil needs a change of scenery. So I know his defense isn't the best, but if you can get an offensively gifted big like that, I think you could see just um, a grasses type of greener type of, of situation with, with Jalil if he goes somewhere else. Just kind of gets everybody sometimes needs to hit that restart button. And I think he needs to do that. And Portland, if they could get him cheap, uh, he would be a perfect target for me. But I was debating whether picking a win against the, the Hornets or the Sixers. I think we're going to get one of the two. Um, I'll go Philly just because these Blazers are so Jekyll and Hyde and for no other reason than we probably shouldn't win, but but we will. Um, I think it's going to be close, but Embiid being on that re- minutes restriction really kind of throws them for a loop. And then Portland wraps up this road trip um, in Boston against the Celtics on Saturday. Again, we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it is a wonky 2 p.m. Uh, start. So we don't do too well with different starts. So the Blazers really need to bring that energy. It is going to be a back-to-back. It is going to be the last game of a road trip. We we said this with the Hornets game, but Portland has to start out reasonably quick or at least maintain maintain pace with the Celtics because last year in Boston, they ran away with that at halftime and it wasn't even close. And it, to be honest, it is not a good matchup for Portland. They oh, it, play amazing defense. Yeah. Um, it will be Evan Turner's return to Boston. Uh, so that's going to be, that's going to be the thing I'm going to watch most because ET brought so much to that Celtics team, but I think, I think his play. departure, it really opened the door for Marcus smart to just play the way he does. He's, like one of the best floppers ever. Yeah, he's he's top level flopper up there with Robert Ory. Yeah. Um, but you're looking at Boston really rising up the Eastern Conference ranks. They're sitting there third right now, 26 and 15, uh, 13 and 6 at home, and they've won eight of their last 10, including three straight. Portland is, I think, they're going to have their hands full uh, against the Celtics, especially because Avery Bradley and both Dame and CJ have called him the best perimeter defender in the game. He's going to be there hawking one of the other two. And, and Jay Crowder's right there, too. You've got Jay Crowder, but they've added Big Al Horford. So now they can really defend that pick and roll. They can really blitz and trap you. He is a very mobile big. But what I'm looking for most is how in the world are we going to defend Isaiah Thomas? Because I asked you to research this stat, but I believe he scores 10 points in the yeah. fourth quarter stage. How does that rank historically? Well, thanks for that lead-in. Um, he, he's fourth uh, in the last 20 years in scoring in the fourth quarter. So he, he gets very busy. But, I mean, that you said we don't do well in wonky start times. We also don't do well against really smart, coached, smartly coached teams. And Boston is going to be refreshed. They have the Knicks at home tomorrow on Wednesday, and they don't play until Saturday against the Blazers at home. So... It's really not looking all that positive if you're if you're a Trailblazer fan. I mean, you look at the road trip, 
this is the game that's the hardest. Everyone's like, okay, that's a loss. In a way, that could mean Portland wins this game because what we predicted has really gone the opposite this year with the Blazers. But I just don't see how Portland matches up very well against the, this Boston team. Um, I think they're going to have to keep their turnovers down. Like Washington, you do not, you do not want to get Isaiah Thomas out in transition. And we're also going to have to watch the three-point line. Isaiah Thomas is going to get into the middle, and then we're probably going to have to collapse on him, which is going to leave a plethora of shooters out there. And lastly, Al Horford. We saw what Vucevic did outside of the paint. Vucevic and Horford are pretty similar offensive players, both similar skill sets. Horford could have a big game if we do not pay attention to him, and we might not have to pay attention, or we might just not be able to pay attention if Isaiah is getting around our bigs. So it really starts with Isaiah Thomas. Can you keep him contained? I think this is a game where you probably throw the kitchen sink at the Boston Celtics defensively and see if you could just get the ball out of his hands and make them run the shot clock down as much as possible so they're not getting a time to run a set offense. How are we defending this team? Let's just uh, Can we agree that their finishing five is Isaiah, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Big Al, right? Yes. So how are we defending them? Are we putting Mo on Isaiah, hiding one of our two bad guard defenders on Bradley and Crowder, having... I would actually, yeah, I would put either Aminu or or Mo on Isaiah. The problem with Isaiah is he's so small. He's like a running back who hides behind a big offensive line. Before you know it, you blink and he squirts through the paint and, he, and he's there up at the up at the rim. That's that's my concern with Isaiah Thomas. So Chief has the length, but he doesn't have the quickness. Mo has probably more of the quickness. I don't know if he has enough quickness, though. I think Mo is still your best bet. Um, watch out for Evan Turner, though. I think Evan Turner might know Isaiah Thomas from his, you know, obviously playing with him. So he knows his go-to moves. I think with Isaiah, though, it's it's a pick your poison. He is really at that elite level where you have to live with him shooting a contested jump shot. You just can't let him get in the paint. Um, I think for Portland to win this game... They're going to have to keep it close. You cannot lose contact with this team because it's like playing a great running team in football. Once they get the lead, they're going to just chew the clock and they're going to beat you, you know, very slow and methodical. You have to kind of keep your, because they're such a great defensive team. They're almost like they're a better Grizzlies of the East is how I kind of like to look at them just because they're so just, they're, they just swarm you defensively, and it can be suffocating at times. And Portland really needs to kind of take a deep breath, probably play a slower pace, really value the possession. Like, let's limit turnovers, let's quit with these sloppy passes, and let's treat each possession like it's a postseason possession. And that's the thing that's really frustrated me at times with the Blazers is they'll take an ill-advised shot, they'll make a lazy pass, they just won't treat it like that really counts when in reality we've seen this team all year lose games in the fourth quarter on the final possessions because they hadn't valued the possessions before. Not one possession loses you the game. It's a cumulative amount of, of, you know, plays in a game and you have to treat them all with, you know, a lot of care. And if I'm a Blazer fan, that's what I'm looking for the most. So we, we watch Isaiah Thomas just dominate the last few years with, Bummy bigs, pretty bad big players. Now that he got Al Horford, he's putting up some insane numbers. It just makes me want to have a good big to run with Dame. It just, like he that is the thing that just makes me so curious what could happen if Dame 
was matched up with a dominant big like an Al Horford or a even better. But I, I just think that having an elite guard that can break down the defense or can shoot a three match with a big that can score is just such a deadly combination. I think it's really a guard's league, but a big can really make that guard's life a lot easier. And we saw with the Blazers when we had LaMarcus and Rolo. We beat the Rockets in six, and Dame's life was so much easier when he had Elias Natlet. Obviously, there were locker room issues with LaMarcus not wanting to give up the reign of control as the alpha dog, but had ever, like you said, in the 2K world, that's what you want. You want a guard-dominated league, but you need to have that big who's who's there to bail you out, get points in the paint, and rebound and defend, which LaMarcus did do all of those things. Isaiah Thomas has that in Big Al Horford. Uh, to be honest, Sage, I see. No, I have no idea how we win this game. This might be the toughest game in, in memory going into it outside of the Warriors where I'm like, I just don't see what a way we win this game. Unless Boston overlooks us, which is likely they will be rested. I don't so think they, they will. A little just, just with their coaching staff, what they're all about. I, I just don't think they overlook us. I, I think we lose. Um... Yeah, I think it's an 0-3 week. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go 1-2, and two, but you're right. Boston really hasn't had a bad loss since the Pistons back on November 30th when they lost by 7 at home. They're pretty dialed in right now. So I think the one hope is that they do overlook Portland. I just don't see it. I think Boston probably runs away with this. I don't know if it'll be as ugly as the Wizards game, but it's just a really bad matchup for us. Maybe our new defense will throw them for um, a loop and get us some turnovers and easy points on the break to keep it close. But in the end, we have no answer for Isaiah Thomas, I think, defensively. And you, you throw in you know, the Al Horford element, that which we didn't have to deal with last year, and it's really a whole other ball of wax that the Blazers have to deal with. So I've got them losing. Probably going to be a 1-2 and two week for me. Sage, let's say the Blazers do go 0-3, and, and let's really take a look at how that impacts them moving forward. You've got them at 18-25 and 25, or excuse, right now. They would put them in 18-28. and 28. That's 46 games total, and you've got probably 36 games left to go. Realistically, what's possible in those 36 games? Um, does it even behoove them to try to move up the playoff ladder? Honestly, if we lose those games, it's it's time to really just look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that we're not a playoff team. It would help us immensely to get a young, talented wing player or a young, talented post player. I mean, I I can try and pretend to talk myself into the playoffs, but really, you can see what with, with my predictions what I think is most beneficial to this team. If we lose fans, our fans are upset. I just Look at how we played. There's no way that we make this crazy lineup change that helps us. This is the team we've got, and there is something that is amiss with this team. I don't know what it is. I don't think anyone really knows what it is. It, it, it's just something that's wrong. So, if if we lose the if we lose, I think it would help us to tank, and especially if New Orleans sneaks out a win. And you're looking at being 10 games under 500. Everyone keeps comparing this season to last. We were never 10 games under 500, certainly not at this point in the season. In fact, this time last year is when we really made the turnaround. Um, 
I don't think this year is like last year at all. There's no, no it's no, so different. And there's so no Noah Vonley to take out of the lineup. I mean, in a, in a way, there are some injuries that would have helped us had we got our shit together. You're looking at the Clippers, who have been who have been pretty injury riddled. So of the Grizzlies, um, the Thunder lost KD in the offseason. Uh, Utah started with Gordon Hayward out for like the first three or four weeks of the season. Derek so, Favors was out. The opportunities were there for Portland to be where the Rockets are at right now. And I think that's what's so frustrating and kind of dejecting as a Blazer fan is you look at Houston and you're like, that could have been us. And I don't know what's going to happen, but January 15th, that deadline passed. So now every player who signed a contract in the summer is now eligible to be traded. That means Portland's roster is up for grabs. The trade deadline is in late February, so Neil's working with with about a month to go. If we're looking at the picks as they stand right now, Portland would have the 11th pick, their own, and they would have the 27th pick, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So one thing to watch out for is the Cavs. Root for the Cavs to lose as many games as possible and root for Houston, San Antonio, and Golden State to keep winning. I think the best-case scenario is Portland keeps that pick at 27. I think that's as high as it can go. I don't know if Toronto can catch them. If they do, they might. So you're looking at 26 and 27, but with a draft pick, even one slot, it just gives it that much more value. And that's what you're looking for if you're Neil Olshay is asset value. And to have two picks in a what's been called a loaded draft, and I've seen quite a few of these prospects, and they look better than most picks in recent years, that's a great head start into next season. And, you know, I'm not ready to hit the reset button on this year, but the writing's been on the wall. There's something amiss in the locker room, like you mentioned, Sage. Nobody knows what it is, but we can all see it. We all know it. there's something there. Um, I'm really interested to see what what happens with this Azili situation. Is Jason Quick ever going to spill the beans? Is it going to come out elsewhere? Um, is a trade going to be made? Sage, looking at the trade targets, who would be you know a couple players you would love to see Neil Olshay um, pick up? Hmm. First round picks. That's what I want. Who do you think on our roster can net a first round pick? Oh, man. Outside of the big two. Maybe Mason, a later one. Maybe on Crab, a later one for a team that's just desperate for threes. Maybe some late seconds for the other players. I just... Every team fucks up in drafts. Even the Spurs have made some bad picks. I remember, I think his name was Justin Anderson a few years ago. The Spurs were thinking he was going to be Kawhi Leonard, and he busts. What I want is to give Neil O'Shea the best chance at finding gems. It's not an exact science, but what I want is as many picks as humanly possible to uh, get just to work with. And if that's trading Alan Crabb to the Bulls, for instance, and getting the Kings pick in return, and then trading someone to the Kings that will help them win more games so we get the pick, so be it. Yeah, you know, you're looking at teams who could use a guy like Mason Plumley or teams in recent years who have shown um, a likeness to trade uh, for players in the win-now mode. Um, the Wizards pop up. you got Indiana with a local Mason Plumley tie. Mason is from that state. Um, they could use um, another big outside of Miles Turner. I don't think Al Jefferson's really getting it done for them. 
Um, you're looking possibly at Chicago. Chicago's yeah, that's what I was thinking. They have assets. Yeah, Chicago's a team that could use some shooting, but they could also um, use some. I think they they missed that Pau Gasol element last year, and I know Mason Plumlee is not Pau Gasol, but offensively he can distribute like Gasol, so that could be a fit. Obviously, you have to make contracts work, but I think there are trading partners out there. But I'm also looking at young players who have fallen out of flavor in their current situation. So we're talking Nerlens Noel. Jaleel Okafor, a Willie Cauley-Stein in Sacramento who has potential, I think, to be a young Tyson Chandler. But again, Sacramento is a toxic situation, and for the most part, so is Philadelphia. So can you all say, you know, the, the saying is always, you buy low and you sell high. We bought really low on guys like Ed Davis, Alfred Aminu, Shabazz Napier, Maurice Harkless. We've seen that pay dividends. That's really in Robin Lopez. Neil, that's his bread and butter. That's where he shines, the draft and then finding these gems. So I don't want to see him go after a guy like Tyson Chandler, who's 34 and pretty washed, who might win us a couple extra games. I want to see us go after these hidden gems that can really blossom with Dame and CJ because there's a reason they were t- taken that high. And more times than not, there, there's talent there. And I always even go back to when the Blazers traded a, a bona fide point guard in Rod Strickland, they took a chance on a lottery pick named Rashid Wallace. Rashid was a huge reason why this team was able to turn it around and they got to the conference finals those two years. So anytime you have a chance to get a former lottery pick, you go out and you do that because Portland doesn't, you, I mean, you can only get so many lottery picks yourself via the, via the draft, but Portland doesn't get free agents. This is their way of finding that, that hidden star. And uh, that's what I would be looking for if I was a Blazer fan coming up into the, the trading season. So before we go, let's talk about the All-Star game. Do you think Dame is an All-Star? I think he's a top 10 talent in the league. I think he is a top 10 player. I think CJ's an All-Star player. But with Portland now falling out of the East or the eighth playoff spot, um, it's going to be interesting because we've never seen a voting like this before where it's half fan a quarter coaching and a quarter player vote. Um, do you know if all-star voting is for the reserves, if it's split between the fans and, um, I so we don't know. Don't no know. I'm leaning towards no. Um, Portland's had a disappointing season, whether it's fair or not. Damien has to take a lot of that responsibility as the leader of the team. I, I think he's played fantastic this year. He was amazing to start the season. Um, I think CJ has even improved over his breakout season of last year. But if I'm, and this is what I do, if I'm an opposing fan, I look at the Blazers. I'm like, they're not even in the playoffs. They brought back 90% of their roster minutes. Um, how? Why? You know, you shouldn't be rewarded for that. There's already too many good players performing well. However, I will say with Chris Paul being injured, I, I, bring that up, yeah. I think it opens the door for our, one of our guards to make it. I also don't think you can give the Warriors four spots. Um, that's pretty unprecedented. Five spots, man. Zaza. I mean, give a fuck <laughs> out of uh, um, I think it's going to be tough. If I had to bet, I would say Dame gets snubbed again, um, which is tough because he should be an all-star every year. He is an all-star every year in our, in our minds, but the team's just not really performing very well. And unless they flip it around right real quick, because the all-star game is coming up in about three to four weeks and voting's fan voting's already closed. So, You've got very little amount of time to make a, a final impression. 
my, I would lean towards no. I think it's going to be a travesty if he's not on the team because if you're really thinking of the best players, he should be on there. But um, long-winded answer, unfortunately, no. What do you say, Sage? I think he will. I think I think it's between him and Gordon Hayward, and I think I would go Dame, but I don't understand them going for Gordon Hayward. I just think in the future, every team can afford two max players. We have the two max players, so that, that I mean that's what we're rolling with. Yep, I mean, I'd is... rather I I would much rather give. I mean, this is a situation I'm dealing with as a, as a Pelican fan. Drew Holiday is a free agent. He's gonna want twenty plus million. I don't want to. I would rather trade him for Ru- Ricky Rubio than overpay him. So I'd much rather have my two superstar max players on my roster already. Yep, I think we're in big unison right there. Let's see what we can get. Asset wise, let's draft smart and let's just build around Damon CJ. I mean, if it's Joel Embiid, sure, but yeah, let's just call this. Let's just call the season good, man. Um, Let's just hope there's no injuries and we can survive. You know, we've been through worse Rip City, but I mean, it's just tough. Just take a deep breath, enjoy the little moments that come from it, especially like CJ scoring the 25 and eight straight games. Just trying to find the good little things. Uh, Noah Vonley has been playing better of late. Um, so as Napier, just watch. I mean, we're always going to watch. We're Blazer fans. We're, we're not about this bandwagon life. We, we ride and die with our team. And there will be better days ahead. I just don't know if it's going to be next week. But these Blazers have been known to surprise us. So don't be surprised if they go 3-0 either. Um, I'm just thankful we got some basketball to watch. It's still basketball season. Um, if you're a draft junkie, definitely tune into those. Uh, mock drafts, see who they have Portland slated, maybe check out that guy's games, you know, form an opinion on who you want us to take because we're going to be coming in hot with the draft content pretty soon, especially if the season is going the way it is, but that's never a bad thing. We love the draft and, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for a sage. It's almost midnight, um, on Tuesday night. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, you know, definitely give us a subscription on iTunes, that five-star rating. We're also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard uh, PDX. Uh, and we're also on social, Facebook, or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Holy Backboard Sage. I feel so refreshed after that power nap. I'm actually pretty fired up. I uh, don't know how I'm going to get to sleep tonight, but I had a blast uh, recording this podcast. It's one of the longer ones we've done in a while. Obviously, a ton of out. It doesn't yeah. seem like it's that long. Uh, hour 30. That doesn't yeah. seem like that long. So I'm pretty fired up, but you know I'm still excited to watch the games. Like I said, there's always something to watch for, and um, let's hope they turn it around this, this week. And uh, as always, let's go, Blazers. Make a decision on what you want to do and stick by it. That's all I got to say. Let's go! Let's go!